Hi, Alan. Hello, Dorothy. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. It's really good to have you along here. Uh, what a great podcast we've got today. It is. It's somebody I've known for a number of years, Maria Tidy, and she's worked in the charity sector. Her latest project is very interesting. It combines, from what I understand, a sort of a, a mental health aspect with a charity and running a business as well. Yes, two are side by side. So Maria is working at a Swap. Swap is based in a nursery for plants, not children. People that have got mental health issues and need help with work, they are working in the nursery using horticulture to help them with their issues and what they're doing is also helping the business for people to go in and buy their plants and what they need for gardens this is a unique thing and i think very topical actually there's a lot about mental health around at the moment in the media and how it's affecting people so this is going to be really interesting i'm looking forward to talking to uh, talking to maria so a question for you dorothy is how important do you think mental health is you know you work and run your own business Mm -hmm. how do you keep your sort of mental attitude and focus without actually being dragged down by the minutiae of running a business for me it's doing things outside work so you have a definite work-life balance which sometimes work and sometimes doesn't so i do singing i sing in a choir oh brilliant uh, at the moment, I'm having swimming lessons to improve my swimming. So it's exercise, something for your brain, doing something absolutely menial. So maybe sitting on the couch watching football, if Liverpool can win, would be great. <laughs> um, going out with friends and family. And how about yourself? I mean, you've got, you run a business. Yeah, no, I, I do. And I, I'd, I'd like to say I'm as, as my life is as varied as yours. I don't think somehow it is, actually. I think I'm a sort of typical bloke, really. I've got my little cave. Yeah. Not, not a literal cave, yeah. obviously, but a little cave where I've got a room in the house where I've got stuff. Yeah. And if I can find space in my day that doesn't encroach with my wife, you know, saying, are you coming down to watch the telly or something like that? Isn't yeah. it time to re- we have a chat about stuff, <laughs> which is normal and that's absolutely fine. Then I, then I do enjoy just going up into, the, into my cave and just fiddling. Mm. It's a little fiddling area. Yeah. And I've always thought that that actually is, is a good release. But one of the things that I have found, because I work from home, my business is, is essentially right. run from home yeah. these days. The demarcation between work and uh, non-work mm. is it, sometimes it's very, very difficult to do that. And I'm not sure sort of mentally if I do switch off when yeah. I when I should be doing. And I, I yeah. think, so I have to force myself basically to do yeah. that. I'm, I'm fortunate that I have an office that's separate from home and there is a time to walk because it is in, within walking distance that I walk and that's almost as if, okay, it's not work anymore. And there is that change of mental attitude that I'm at home now and work shouldn't encroach and I know there shouldn't be shouldn'ts in life but I try not to let it encroach in, in home. And I promise not to phone you up at the weekends and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I wish I tried to avoid doing that to anybody because I know that's a pain. Yeah. But uh, okay let's, um, let's get on with it. Let's have a chat with Maria then. First of all tell us what SWAP means. SWAP stands for the Sheltered Work Opportunities Project. 
So we're a charity supporting people with mental health issues through therapeutic horticulture. And we run two nurseries. And they've been going some time, you told me earlier on. Uh huh. So Cherry Tree Nursery is now um, 32 years old. Chestnut will be 21 this year. Ooh. So it's kind of um, Bournemouth and Paul's best kept secret. <laughs> what came first then? Was it the nursery or was it the charity? So what happened was all those years ago, a lot of the mental health hospitals in the area were closing, kind of letting people out into the community. They felt that people with mental health difficulties would be better out in the community. Um, but there were a couple of guys that felt that actually they were they needed a bit more support than that. So they set about finding a site to open the nursery. Right. So the uh, initially they were, went out to look for somewhere over at Westmore's Um, because they thought that would be a good place for it, realised that the travel links out there weren't going to be that great, came back this way, um, ran out of petrol on the Northbourne roundabout, (laughs) and found Cherry Tree Nursery, which is, it's a council site. And so they spoke to the council, said, could we rent this site off you? And it started off with, I think, two members of staff, three volunteers, a dog and a portaloo. So for those not familiar with the area, that the distance that they travel so we're in Bournemouth and Poole conurbation at the moment Mm -hmm. and your nurseries are out on the outskirts and one's also in Poole on the south coast and they were traveling out what 10 or 15 miles out Mm -hmm. and coming back in looking for the 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 place to go and Mm -hmm. run out of petrol about five miles away (laughs) from where they started (laughs) it seems a bit careless but there we are it's an interesting concept, I think. And so what's your role in all of this? And how, how has your involvement come about? Okay, so I've been working with them now since March last year, so coming up a year. And I was approached to work with them to raise the profile and raise some funds. My job title is Community Liaison Officer, which makes me sound like a police lady. It does. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's more about really letting everybody know that the nurseries exist. Please come in and buy your plants from us and to, yeah, and raise funds. So um, we reckon about 80% of what we need comes from the plant sales. And so my role is to raise that extra bit, which is approximately 50,000 a year. That wow. I need to raise, mm-hmm. but if I can raise the plant sales, if I can get more people to buy plants, then <laughs> then that 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 gap shortens. And what's your history within that sort of industry? So I've worked in fundraising now for about fifteen years. Or not um, that old, Maria? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about fifteen years across different sectors. You mm-hmm. know, in the charity sector mostly health related though right and I was approached by this charity they've not had anybody doing this role before not had anybody marketing sales fundraising so what was it like having that blank piece of paper and saying what are your plans what do you do and and realizing there was nothing there and you needed to start from scratch so in a way it's a little bit daunting because obviously you've got nothing to to go by but having been a fundraiser for so long Mm -hmm. you kind of go with what you know um so initially it's about learning the charity learning you know their aims and objectives are what you know why we exist and then using that knowledge and my fundraising knowledge and my connections within the community to then raise the money and raise the profile. So initially, I started looking into what is mental health and 
therapy like gardening is, yeah. is uh, therapeutic horticulture it's all about um spending time with plants and the earth which is all non-threatening mm-hmm. and what can i do to raise that profile so my my first campaign really was the great garden party so right. a bit along the lines of a great coffee morning yeah um but trying to encourage people to host something in their own gardens and fundraise for us so it's uh, getting other people to think about how they can use their gardens to support the charity. So that was kind of my first campaign, which went fairly well. Yeah. Um, it's coming up against, and I did that in Mental Health Awareness Week. Right. That so, and that's coming up again in May. So I'm just working on that again for this year, but mm-hmm. doing it slightly differently because you learn every time, don't you? <laughs> yeah. We were involved in the duck race and my colleague's little one set off a whole load of ducks, which was done in the centre of Bournemouth on a lovely sunny day. We were very fortunate with the weather. It, it was just great fun to involve the community and and the visitors as they went past, because it was in almost peak tourist season, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was the end of July. So mm. that came about because of a connection that I've got with one of the Rotary Clubs. They said, would we like to run it? They gave me all of the information and I ran last year with the duck race, which was great. So again, I'm changing that up again this year slightly differently to make it easier for me easier for the sponsors and hopefully we'll get more and more people there yeah so it's great fun how important is is it to you to have a black book or or connections that you you've taken from one place to another because it seems to me as though obviously you're working in the same geographical area but how important connections to, to what you do day to day yeah it's massively important so say so I've been fundraising now for 15 years and over that period I've done lots of networking I've made lots of connections and I think people do buy from people so obviously there are people that have certain connections with certain charities that they they support because of the the charity my role is to get out there and to really kind of sell I suppose the charity that I'm working for but the connections are really important so over the years I've made contacts with many people Dorothy being one of them I think we go back the 15 quite a lot years, of years. <laughs> um, and it and um yeah because of the way that I work with people and you know the, the friendships that I've made is because it's not just about a business connection it's about a friendship I think as well then people follow you. They, they follow me, you know, which is great. So you touch on something I think is a really interesting point there, that, that it's not a business connection. It's not a transactional thing that you need. Is, mm. is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, trust is a big, big thing. If people didn't trust in me, they wouldn't want to work with me. And I think that works both ways, doesn't it? I always say with businesses and networking, it is about getting to know the person. And it's, it's certainly not just a transaction at all. I think people buy from people and if you get to know the person and you get to like the person and you build a friendship, then they're much more likely to be working with you going forward. It's certainly a rewarding sector that you, you work in, in the sort of charitable sector. And I can't help thinking that people are listening to this and thinking, you know, I want to jump out this corporate world, this merry-go-round that I'm in and do something. And you must find this, do something worthwhile. I mean, obviously that's why you do it. So what would you say to them? So somebody you can imagine yourself a few years ago when you're working for somebody else and, and, and them jumping into working for a charity, what would they need to do, do you think? What's the few okay. things they need to look at? Okay, you're right. It's very rewarding. I absolutely love my job. 
it's hard work. In fact, I've had a chap come to me recently who's just come out of the corporate world, took a redundancy. Can you help me, Maria? I'd really like to be a fundraiser. So I said, sure, I'll keep my eye out for you, but it's not as easy as it looks. So I think people say put the fun into fundraising, and it is. And, you know, I do things like duck races and jump out of aeroplanes and which some people wouldn't think is fun. No, um, not at all. You know, not <laughs> at all. Organised coffee mornings and cakes. There's a lot of cake involved. Yep. But I think what people don't see is what goes on in the background. So, you know, for, let's take the duck race, for example. So the duck race, we had 12 races. We were selling the ducks for a pound a go. I think there were three... 3,000 ducks a day, I think. So the potential is to raise six grand. But you can only do that if you sell all of the ducks. So you really need a bit of tenacity to get out there and do that. But you also have to think things differently. And and again, your connections. Because what you're not going to do is sell 6,000 ducks to strangers so it is all about the, yeah. you know, the contacts, the building relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, it's not easy. That's all I'd say. So if somebody wants to go into fundraising, they need to sit back and really think hard about it because you need to have, you need to know your product. You need to be able to do the sell. You need to be able to, you know, th- think outside of the box and do things slightly differently. It's big. <laughs> it's, it's a big job. <laughs> yeah. It's a big job. It's not a skill set that I can imagine that you'd find somebody with a career path to to lead them to that. I think it's some there's some jump that one needs to make actually to go into fundraising. I, I can't quite put my finger on what what that is. You know, if I could think of a a normal normal, if I could think of a role of of somebody in a in a corporate job, I, I actually I can't think of anyone in a corporate role that will because actually because it's it's marketing, but it's not marketing, mm, and it's it's sales it's maybe sales, but it's. Yeah, you're marketing and sales, but with um, an underlying cause to work with on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my my background was I was in a marketing role right. um, a long time ago up in London. I started off by doing an event internally with the company I was working was working for the Institute of Personnel and Development way back then, and I started off. I just did a bowling event with team that I was working with so I could introduce my husband to their husbands and then I ended up becoming almost like the the social secretary for the whole whole organization (laughs) and absolutely loved it so we did everything from bowling to Christmas parties to treasure hunts in the park and uh, even down to a children's Christmas party where my husband and I were dressed as Orinoco and (laughs) Poe as you do um, which was all great fun and uh, and not pressurised because it was just all for fun. And then when we moved back down here, I, I was um, worked as the events manager for Dorset Chamber. Um, right. So that's kind of how I got into an events role. Then I moved into fundraising after that. So it's kind, it was kind of a progression from marketing to events, then putting the two together, the networking, the connections, and, and so it goes on, really. 
So you really helped me out there. I didn't. You know, oh, it's obvious now. You've mentioned that, Maria. Uh, yeah, because I hadn't connected that at all. I mean, I've dabbled in being the social secretary, but then I'm I'm looking around and thinking all these guys are having a lot of fun, and all I've spent is the last three months worrying how good it's going to be. Yeah. And that stopped me doing it. That sounds yeah. very familiar. Very yeah. familiar. I used to do that when I would. I lived mm. in London and arranged events for clients. Mm. Uh, oh, I wouldn't want to do it full time, Maria. I admire <laughs> you for that one. <laughs> so, is the but the pressure obviously is a little bit different from what you did then and what you do now because there's a amount of money that's attached to that. How do you manage then the expectation of the charity that you're working for? Do you do that right at the front or do they manage that somehow? How's that working? So, I kind of pull together a bit of a plan for the year and work out what I need to raise and how I'm going to raise it and put together an event plan. And then I'm also this year looking at grant applications so that we can maybe pay for some of the bigger things. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we we need to do like early this year is refurbish the big greenhouse over at Chestnut Nursery, which has been there longer than it existed as a nursery for us. So, but yeah, I do kind of pull together a bit of a plan with, you know, what I think that event might raise and then put that forward. And then I come up with stuff that's a little bit off the wall. Like this weekend, we're doing a a talk on how to garden pain-free. So we've got um, yeah, <laughs> I would so like we, that one. We've got a, a local company, a physio company, coming in to talk about how you garden pain-free, which is that is connected to gardening, um, which is great. But it's a bit of a win-win because we'll promote their business and they promote us, yeah. and then we raise a bit of money. And then the other one that I've done that's a little bit random is an antiques valuation day. So that's like not gardening related at all, but it helps to promote their business. Uh, We did one last year, brought 30 people into the nursery with their items to be valued. We raised £300 and those 30 people had not been into the nursery before. So that kind of, that's the outside of the box thinking because now I've ticked the box that says we've raised some money, we've raised the profile, we've helped that, that antiques valuer raise his profile and those 30 people will hopefully come back to the nursery now to buy their plants. That's the kind of thing is like thinking thinking a little bit differently. So with a new task like you have, what's the sort of time frame that you, that you work ahead of the things that you're doing? So when you're putting an event on, generally you're looking at it at least three months in advance from a promotional perspective um, so that you can you know, sell your tickets and what have you so at least three months but I'm putting my plan together now in fact I'm probably a bit late putting my plan together now for the rest of the year so like late in January yeah in January so like the the duck race for example I've already put all the documents to the council and had the permission back that's not till the end of July so I will be going out shortly to say to the sponsors do you want to do it again and then things like the garden party this year we're going to do a garden party at Cherry Tree and at Chestnut Nursery. So that brings people in to the nurseries for a one-day garden party that I will host. But then we're going to launch it. So rather than just hold people just holding a garden party in May, let's say run it through the summer. So right. it's kind of a launch. So it's yeah. about thinking about those things in advance. So giving people enough time to be able to do everything they that we want them to do. <laughs> Um, do, you, do you have, so this is a, uh, I might know the answer to this one, I think, but 
I'll, I'll pose it to you. So there's just you, right? Uh-huh. I, I'm right in saying that way. And that seems a lot of work for one person. So how do you, is it easy to, to co-op people from the organization? Obviously, you know, it's their, to their benefit and that's their purpose. Or is it a thing that you go outside and you find volunteers that are helping you? Or is it a combination of both? What's the best thing that you found that works? So it's more so bringing in people externally to volunteer. We, we don't have lots of paid staff within the charities. So the paid staff we have, have a role to do of their own. Right. So I can call on them and say, you know, I'm doing this event. Would you like to be involved? Um, but I don't have that expectation because that's if if you were to turn it around and they were to say to me, can you run the shop on Saturday? Potentially I could do it, but it, it's like that's not my role and I'm probably doing a bucket collection on the Saturday. So you kind of have to um, acknowledge that everybody within the organisation's already got their own role to do. So if they can help, they will, don't get me wrong. But often when it's like I'm running an event or I need help with stuff, I'd be looking outside of the organisation for people to help me. So the other the other one, which I think Dorothy's helped with before as well, is um, the Bournemouth Marathon Festival. Yeah. So they actually pay the charity for us to supply volunteers. So then what I do is I go out and say, I need 20 volunteers on this Sunday morning to hand out water. If I can pull those 20 volunteers together, then they pay us to to run that water station. So volunteers are crucial, actually, for the, for the charity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's in my diary already, because you already <laughs> said this date. Excellent. So there you go. That's yeah. that's like forward planning. I know what the date is. Let's mm. let everybody know what the date is, and then hopefully they'll be available. Has sort of fundraising fundamentally changed? Uh, we've had COVID. We've, we've come out of that now. Cost of living Cost issues. Cost of living issues. We had a banking crisis not mm. so long. We've had Brexit. Da, da, da. Lots of big things have happened in the country over the last six, seven years or so. Has that affected fundraising fundamentally or are we still a, a fairly giving nation? I think we're still a fairly giving nation. I think things have changed over the years from a, a corporate giving perspective, I would say. So where like years ago you'd go to a, a company and say, can you donate? And they would you know, readily write a check. That's changed. What I find more so these days is that they they kind of like to have a return on their investment. So they might sponsor something so they can, you know, have their logo on stuff or a shout out on social media. So I think things have changed in that perspective. But I think generally people are still fairly giving. And I, I also find that it's the people with the least that give the more. Mm, the most. Heard that. That's right. what I think. Um, it's very interesting when you, if you do a bucket collection in the supermarkets, which ones get the more mm. money? It's yeah. very interesting. Never occurred to me that. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I'd, yeah. I'd love to look into the psychology of people um, collection buckets. So <laughs> I'm the, rubbish at that because I don't carry cash. Yeah, that's quite interesting these days. We do yeah. have a card machine as well, though, and that really catches people <laughs> out because they go, oh, I'm really sorry, I've got no cash. And then I go, oh, I've got a card machine. And they're kind of like, oh, 
that, that, that wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> but um, no, the, there is a lot of people that don't carry cash. But yeah. I'd, I'm really curious because like years and years ago, I was doing a bucket collection in a shopping centre. We were in the middle of the kind of walkway and people kind of walked to the edges to like avoid right. your bucket. And it's like, you don't have to give. You don't have to avoid me either because I'm not going to bite. <laughs> but it's, it is really interesting. Um, and then other people just like throw a £20 note at you, which is, wow. yeah, That's, and it does yeah. happen. And yeah. But that tends to be in the least expected place right. that you get that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I remember my own bucket collection experiences. We, we used to do it. I worked for this charity and we did it every year. And the one thing that we did was we go, went to the bingo hall. And this was when, uh, bingo's still big, I think, and I haven't been for years, I but I, you go at half time at the bingo hall and there were all the machines, still the bingo machines around the outside. I remember it very vividly. And so we had a plan that you go up and down the tables, right, to collect the, the change and you get a lot there. But you had to go around the outside several times, mm. certainly because instead of putting the money in the slot machine, they would actually put some money in your bucket. So it was almost the competition between us to see who could get the most money in their bucket. And, and I'd worked this out, that the, the slot machines on the side at the bingo hall were the ones that actually um, were the most fruitful, as it were, raising. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. And my final Thank question you. to you is, what makes you smile? Good question. Probably my puppy. Yeah. He's not a puppy anymore, he's two. <laughs> but Winston is, yeah, love of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the best. You've got to tell us what sort of puppy it is. Oh, so he's a golden retriever. He turned two a week ago. Yeah. He had a birthday party. Yeah. So we went and met all his siblings, went for a nice walk. They had cake and biscuits and he had more presents than a two-year-old child. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much. Thank really you. appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it, Alan? I've totally learned something new there. And, and I'd never really merged together having a charity, uh, a mental health charity, effectively, yeah. running with a nursery. And who would have thought? Oh, it's just amazing. And Maria was very good as well. I mean, what a person to have on your yeah. side. Yes, oh, absolutely. A great advocate, I think. And the fact that she came into it not directly as well from marketing and she then ended up doing events and then ended up in the charitable industry yeah as she was talking i was thinking how on earth does somebody get into this and i'm pleased yeah. that she she enlightened us mm. on how that's done and then it's obviously you know it's obvious then isn't it if yeah. you're in that sort of event and marketing stream of uh, then it becomes much easier for you well, that was really good. You know, we're almost out of time here, Dorothy. Oh, again? Again, we're out of time. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you want to catch us on other podcasts, it's really easy to do. It's exactly the same ways in which you found this one in actual fact. You'll find us on social media, Out of the Frying Pan Podcast. Make sure you put in that, Out of the Frying Pan Podcast. You've got to put all of those words in and you will find us on all of the platforms. Too many to mention. About next time's guest, I am really looking forward to having him on. He is going to help us i'm not going to give too much away oh we're going to have some help for you if you're thinking about starting a business maybe you're in your business you're a freelancer you're self-employed we have got just the guy coming up for you in the next one okay look forward to hearing from him yeah.